When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor, Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy to digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Okay, so like I said, let's talk about hyperlipidemia. So for this, it's almost like a talk in a talk. So here's the overview. We're going to talk about etiology. I'm going to talk about primary and secondary hyperlipidemia. Of course, I'm going to talk about screening. It says ATP3 guidelines. You know, this is more historic. These are not going to be tested on your board exams. And I just put them here just because I wanted to compare, show you how do we compare what we do now compared to, I hate saying this word, the olden days. Um, and I will mention the biggest part of this talk, which is going to be about treatment. And then I have three, I think, amazing questions to go over when we talk about hyperlipidemia. So when we mentioned there are two broad types, primary and secondary. So when we talk about primary hyperlipidemias, those are the ones that are going to be genetic in nature. So we could think about familial hypercholesterolemia. And when we think about that, um, there are two different forms. There's a heterozygous form and a homozygous form. When we talk about the heterozygous form, they're going to have, you know, half the number of LDL receptors. And because of that, cholesterol levels could definitely be elevated around 250 to 500. It's not that common. I mean, it's one in 500 people. And they have a variety of findings to show that they have hyperlipidemia. One of the many findings that's not pathognomonic could be what you see over here in this picture. And what is this going to be called? tendon xanthomas. Once again, not pathognomonic. We can see them in other disorders, but associated with familial hypercholesterolemia. There's almost a homozygous form where you actually have almost no LDL receptors. And because of that, look at these cholesterol levels now. They're in close to the thousands. But thank God that this is very rare. How rare? One in a million. So, you know, once in a while, if you ever hear about a very, very young person who develops coronary artery disease, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. This could be your differential. They have this familial hypercholesterolemia. Something that's slightly more common that's still going to be genetic is something called familial combined hyperlipidemia. How common? One in a hundred. So it's not that rare. You know what I mean? And the big thing is there is a variable lipoprotein pattern. And that means Maybe triglycerides are high. Maybe the HDL is low. It could be the LDL. It's variable, you know? 
and they definitely have a higher risk for coronary heart disease. And one of the many findings that you can get is going to be this eye. And when I look at this eye, I see this grayish pale thing around the cornea. That's called a corneal arcus. Another name for that is arcus senilis. And if I were to ask you, what is the most common cause of corneal arcus in the world? The answer is always going to be old age. We're all going to get it when we get older. But this has also been associated with um, familial combined hyperlipidemia. So this is actually a lot more common than the primary type. This is going to be the secondary types. So what can cause this? Let's go through this list together. So it could be diabetes. So when we talk about diabetes, what part of the lipid panel really tends to be elevated? And the answer is triglycerides. And you're going to ask me, why? Because of the fact that in diabetes, you don't have insulin and you need insulin to activate lipoprotein lipase to take those triglycerides and put them into adipose cells. The lack of insulin will actually induce hormone-sensitive lipase while you break down these fatty stores and triglyceride levels go what? Up. So definitely it's a lack of insulin. And think about hypertriglycemia in these patients. Um, obesity can definitely do that. Hypothyroidism has been associated with that. And definitely this is maybe one of the few times you may want to consider treating a subclinical hypothyroidism, depending upon how bad are those lipids. But of course, discuss this with a endocrinologist. Nephrotic syndrome. Now that's very board review-like. That when we talk about some of the uh, things that are associated with a nephrotic syndrome, we think about abnormalities in the lipid panel. And one of the many ways that we try to think of why this occurs is because in nephrotic syndrome, you're just dumping, dumping, dumping proteins all the time that the liver is actually going to make up by making more lipoproteins. That's one way to think about it. Uh, chronic kidney disease, cholestatic liver disease. Now, if you want to get a great overview of this, if you could refer to my GI lecture, I gave a whole talk about two cholestatic liver diseases. One is intrahepatic, where we, where we think about what? PBC, primary biliary cirrhosis. What's my favorite antibody? That's right, antimitochondrial. Or something that's going to be extrahepatic. And what disease is that? It's primary sclerosing cholangitis. So you think about those. And what cancer is associated with that? Cholangiocarcinoma. So why do I do this to you folks? Is always because of the fact that I want you guys to integrate and always to jog your memory, but definitely cholestatic liver disease can do this. Of course, excessive alcohol intake, modifiable risk factor, and cigarette smoking. Drugs can also cause hyperlipidemia. I listed a lot of them down here, including estrogens can do that. Some antihypertensives can do that. Um, some HIV categories, such as the protease inhibitors, can do that. In fact, there was something called lipodystrophy syndrome, in patients taking these types of medications in HIV. And, but I would say one of the biggest ones I've seen on board exams and clinical is these atypical antipsychotics, you know. So olanzapine is a generic name, that's Cyprexa. Seroquel, what is quintanapine can do that. Geodon could do that. I think the one that's going to be hopefully, I think the least associated with it is the brand name Abilify, you know, but definitely think about all these atypical antipsychotics. They, at some degree, they're going to affect um, you in regards to hyperlipidemia.
So when do we test? When do we test? When do we test? Well, you know, there are many, many different guidelines. So when we talk about the lipid panel, well, the two main uh, groups are kind of duking it out is the National Cholesterol Education Program versus the United States Preventive Task Force. So when we talk about these, is that the National Cholesterol Education Program, they want you to be aggressive. They want you to start screening individuals younger in age. Definitely want to be screening younger in age. Maybe screening 20 years for males and for females, both. So when we talk about, you know, knowing your lipids, I came up with this uh, couple of questions called, do you know your lipid management? What's the scenario? So anyways, let's do three different scenarios and you tell me the answer. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have scenario number one. A 42-year-old man is seen to discuss recent test results. He is asymptomatic. He has no no medical problems and takes no meds. He does not use tobacco products. On exam, he is normal tensive. Vital signs are within normal limits. BMI is 24. The remainder of the exam is unremarkable. His 10-year risk for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease based on a pooled cohort equation is 3.4. Okay. Uh, which of the following is the most appropriate treatment of this patient's hyperlipidemia? And let's review what the labs turned out to be. Cholesterol is 270. I mean, that's elevated. LDL is going to be 170. Sure, that's a little bit on the higher side. HDL is great at 40, and his triglycerides are also elevated. So based upon this, um, should we start him on a low statin therapy? Should we start him on a moderate? Or what about a high, or should we go for some lifestyle modifications? So a couple things. He's 42, no medical problems at this time. His 10-year risk is 34 so, of course, that's going to be the question. When we need to do his 10-year risk, what is the magical percent that we're looking for? Based upon all these things, he could start off with lifestyle modifications. He definitely could start with lifestyle modifications. We are going to follow up with them. We are going to see what happens to his lipid panel, and then we'll go from there. So, the answer here is going to be D is in dog. When we talk about that risk that we're talking about, it's going to be anything that's going to be higher than that. How high? I can't tell you yet because I have another question about this. I don't want to steal my own thunder away. But he's not a diabetic. He had no atherosclerotic disease. His LDL is not above 190. All these things factor in. This is someone you want to do lifestyle modifications with. Outstanding. Scenario number two. Now we have a 35-year-old woman evaluated after a laboratory test show an elevated LDL cholesterol level during some routine screening. The family history is remarkable for an MI in her father at age 45. Okay, a family history. She takes no meds. 
Vital signs or BMI is elevated at 30. The remainder of the exam is unremarkable. We do some labs. ALT is normal. TSH is normal. Protocholesterol is definitely elevated. LDL is 195. HDL is 55. Triglycerides are 220. The patient is instructed to do what? Lifestyle modifications to lower her atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. I'm all about that. Uh, according to the ACC AHA guidelines, which of the following is the most appropriate additional treatment for primary prevention for uh, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in this patient? So let's look at the choices. You know, looking at the the labs over here are really focusing on the, the most important one, which is an LDL greater than 190. I don't think I could pick D saying you're good to go, no additional treatment. When I look at the labs to say, let's start off with this PCK9 inhibitor. Wow, that's a, a mouthful. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that just yet. I think it's a little aggressive in, in many different ways. So it really comes down to B and C. I definitely feel a statin is in order. And now you need to know the guidelines. So when you have an LDL greater than, than 190, is this going to be moderate or high intensity? And the answer is, this is high intensity. The answer here is B. All right, very good. And we'll go over these guidelines together. What about the last scenario? A 65-year-old woman is evaluated during a wellness visit. She has no symptoms. Medical history is significant for hypertension and impaired fasting glucose. She has never smoked cigarettes. Her meds are hydrochlorothiazide and metformin. On exam, blood pressure is 130 over 80. Other vital signs are within normal limits. BMI is 26. The remainder exam is normal. Uh-oh, here we go again. Her estimated 10-year cardiovascular risk for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease is 11.1. Hmm, is that high? Is that low? Let's find out. Patient has a total cholesterol. It's elevated at 271. LDL is not too bad at uh, 155. Um, HDL is 50. Trigs are elevated at 330. In addition to, of course, lifestyle modifications, you're always your go-to answer on the boards. Which of the following is the most appropriate therapy for primary prevention in this patient? So, oh, they gave another, you know, PCK19 inhibitor, 9-9 inhibitor, and I would say, no, that seems really aggressive at this time. Should we put the patient on ezetimide? Ezetimide goes by the brand name Zetia. It's a cholesterol absorption inhibitor. Um, I don't even think these are FDA approved for monotherapy. I think they're only going to be add-on therapy to what? Statins. Uh, Gemfimbrazole. Well, that's going to be a medication that really lowers triglycerides more than anything else. But, you know, when we talk about what's going to be the target, it's always going to be LDL, and it's going to be about statins. And I would say, based upon this 10-year risk score being elevated, I definitely feel that this patient needs to be on a moderate-intensity statin. And one of those statins that we use for that is Simvastatin, brand name Zocor. So the answer here is going to be one, D. All right, so finally, I'm going to tell you what, the, what is going to be the answer to that score. So, in patients who are 40 to 75 years of age, no atherosclerotic disease or diabetes, and a 10-year risk 
of greater than 7.5% or higher. That's going to be the number. I hate to say it, you need to memorize. These are going to be patients that need to be placed on moderate uh, therapy stand, moderate intensity. So those are the three most common scenarios I have seen on the internal medicine board exam and UCL, USMLE. So before we go diving into therapy, let's take a step back and kind of show where we were before we have these new guidelines. So in the past, we were using the ATP3 treatment guidelines. And back then, it was all about checking the LDL obsessively. Kind of like you start therapy, what's your LDL goal? Was your LDL going to be less than 160? Was it less than 130 based upon how many risk factors do you have? And that was fine, but things have changed quite a bit. So this was the olden days. Where are we right now? We are at talking about these guidelines over here. That took a lot of switching <laughs> to get there. So here we were back here. And one thing I did want to show is that in, when we talk about uh, LDL goals, there was an interim report back then that said that if you had cardiovascular disease and diabetes, you may want to have an LDL less than 70. And that less than 70 is going to kind of creep in again when we talk about newer guidelines. So these were the guidelines from the past when we talk about just looking at LDL goals based upon risk factors. Now we use this, which are the ACC AHA guidelines. And personally, I feel these guidelines are a lot easier. Um, so kind of let's walk through this together. So we basically have this in four quadrants. And on the top two quadrants are going to be when you want to use high-intensity statins. And the two lower quadrants are when you want to use moderate-intensity statins. So we're keeping it really simple. So when you want to use high-intensity statins, it's going to be just in two populations. Anyone with clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, whether it's going to be a stroke, whether it's peripheral arterial disease, whether it's going to be uh, coronary artery disease, you're going to have what? High-intensity statin. And the other one, it's going to be LDL greater than what? 190. And I remember we had a question, I think it was scenario number two, where the patient's LDL was 195. So if you have any of these two, you're going to be on what? High-intensity statins. And at this time, there were only two statins that got the FDA approval for being high-intensity. And that's going to be our friends, Atorvastatin, goes by the brand name Lipitor, and Resuvastatin goes by the brand name Crestor. And when you start these, there's going to be goals, right, that you want to lower the LDL greater than 50%. So you start statins, and you want to actually uh, lower the LDL by greater than 50%. But the big question is, once if you also have diabetes in any of these cases, so if you have diabetes in any of these cases, you may want to actually make the LDL less than 70. And we'll talk about what could be some add-on things you could do to a statin if you need to get the LDL less than 70 in certain cases. So these are high intensity. Down here under moderate intensity, there are only two groups, right? One in red, which are diabetic. If you only, and I hate the word only, have diabetes and you're the age 40 to 75, then your LDL has to be where? Somewhere between 70 and uh, 189. If your LDL is somewhere between this, then you want to be on a moderate intensity statin. So notice how I said 
70 over here, because if we were to go back, boom, 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 over here, based upon studies that show that certain groups where you have diabetes and uh, coronary artery disease, less than 70 could be a really appropriate goal, they have this uh, very broad LDL range. And for these individuals, if you are in between these ages, your LDL is anywhere in between this, you should be on a moderate intensity statin. And notice how I didn't list any statins here because almost all of them got approval for it, whether it's going to be Pravacol, whether it's going to be uh, uh, Simvastatin. There are so many out there. And you want to lower the LDL from 30 to 50%. And of course, depending where you are, you may want to go less than 70 on this side, same thing, except instead of diabetes, your 10-year risk evaluation is going to be greater than 7.5. And that was scenario number what? Three. That, that one was like a 11% or so. So, of course, what do you want to do here? Start off with a moderate intensity statin. In that case, we did simvastatin. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.